it's like that competition with the human spirit, how far you can push yourself, how far you can push your body. Cause that's like what we're all interested in seeing is like what's humanly possible. Like we want to see what's at that outer limit, but you can't really get that if you don't take that risk. That was Zach Miller, and this is the Running on Own podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and welcome to the Running on Own podcast. Here at Rue, we dive deep into long-form conversations with pioneers of the mind-body-spirit connection. My aim is to bring you conversations with people who have inspirational stories, but also people who can motivate you to take action in your community and your life and to make positive change. Today's conversation is with Zach Miller. Zach is a professional runner for Nike Trail Running who explores what it means to take risks in your life and sport. And Zach shares about his experiences training around the world. When Zach graduated from college, he worked on a cruise ship where he ran on six out of the seven continents, but the real majority of Zach's training was actually spent on the treadmill or running up and down the cruise ship stairwells. Zach came off the cruise ship to win his first ever ultra marathon, the JFK 50 miler, against an extremely competitive field. What drives someone to train for hours on a cruise ship indoors? Well, for Zach, it's a deep love of running and seeing what he's mentally and physically capable of. Zach now lives at over 10,000 feet on Pikes Peak in Colorado, where he works year-round as a caretaker at Bar Camp, a cabin refuge for hikers and trail runners. Since that first JFK 50 miler, Zach has had numerous ultramarathon wins to his name. But what's even more impressive than the wins is Zach's racing strategy. Zach has become known as a front runner. In our conversation, Zach opens up about his racing style and why running is an outlet for him to take risks and to explore the mental and physical limits of his being. Zach also discusses his intuitive training philosophy. He doesn't wear any GPS watches or watches in general, how his faith background and running intersect, and why you can find a way to work out in any condition in your life. Yes, this conversation is definitely centered on running, but if you're not a runner, I still encourage you to tune in. Zach's insight on taking risks, living an unconventional life led by passion, hard work, and humility, I believe everyone can get something from. If my conversation with Zach moves you, as always, reach out on Twitter or Instagram. I always love to hear from all of you. I know that thousands of people are tuning in, but until you actually reach out and let me know you listen to it, I don't know what's moving you, what's inspiring you, and how you're taking these stories into action in your life. If Rue's something you look forward to listening to every Monday morning and you want to help support me continue bringing you the highest quality podcasts, then please consider donating to Rue's Patreon page, where for as little as $2 a month, you get to be a part of an intimate Rue community with insider access into the podcast and exclusive content. So visit patreon.com slash running on home to donate and know that any amount of support helps. A huge thank you to all those who've already joined me on the Patreon journey. I am so grateful. Okay, let's do this. Let's dig in together in today's conversation with Zach Miller. And then like, so I went this morning because I know the day gets busy. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't go in the morning, then it's like usually just kind of gets later and later and later because there's more and more stuff. Um, So I like to get out and get it done in the morning. And when Uh, you're at bar camp where you live, do you also run usually in the morning there? It it varies. Um... So, actually, sometimes in the summer, um, so our, our, the schedule kind of really changes with the seasons because uh, the hiker traffic really fluctuates depending on the seasons. So in the summers, it gets really, really busy, um, and we're, we're feeding, like, meal times are really busy uh, because we have a lot of guests. 
Um, so like breakfast is served at seven and dinner is served at six. So a lot of times in the summer, I'll actually train in the afternoon because we're busy in the morning with breakfast. And then you'll kind of have the morning rush of hikers come through up to like maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. And then it kind of dies down a little in the afternoon because everybody's either like already through and up higher or they're already up and going back down. Uh, so there's kind of a lull in the afternoon. So a lot of times in the summer, I go out in the afternoons. Um, but sometimes, depending on the schedule, I will get up early. Like right before, let's see, we flew out here yesterday, Thursday. So on Wednesday morning, um, I got up at like just, just after 4 o'clock and went out and did a sunrise run. Um, cause just the way my schedule was that day, I knew that if, if I didn't like get it done in the morning, uh, there was going to be like a lot of stuff going on that day and I knew it might not, it, it might be kind of tricky to fit it in. So I, so I like, so I got up early and got like 12 miles in before we served breakfast and then, uh, and then, so on so, Wednesday you were at bar camp. Yeah, on Wednesday it was bar camp. Okay. Yeah, so I I got up and did an early morning run, and then I did run again later in the day, but I wasn't as pressured because I knew like, well, I've already got one good workout in, so uh, the bulk of it is done, and yeah. wh whatever I can squeeze in the rest of the day is is uh, is just kind of a little extra. So I love that like for you. I think there are a lot of professional runners out there who professional running is their only thing, mm -hmm. but you're, I mean, we've spoken about this off mic, but like you're integrating this into the rest of your life mm -hmm. and you're waking up really early to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I, um, the whole professional runner concept is kind of interesting. Like when I was young, uh, I mean, I never knew I was going to be at that point to get to that level. Um, when I was young, you'd go, you'd, you'd go, like in college, we'd have preseason, and all we would do is like eat and sleep and run because classes hadn't started yet, and we'd do that for like two weeks. And that was like the best time of the year. We were like, oh, man, this is awesome. Like you'd think like if I could do this, because to you that's like, oh, this is what professional runners do. And you'd think like, oh, it would be great to be a professional and just run. Um, but then you get out and you, I don't know, like I, I've always kind of like, uh, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I've always kind of like thought critically about if I would want to do that type of thing. Um, because one, I think it's just valuable to be balanced, to have something other than just running. So like I, I actually... I like to work very hard and I like, I like to have like a full busy day that makes me feel productive. So for me, it's good if I can do something other than just run. Like sure, maybe I go out and train for several hours, but then I come back and you know, I need to wash dishes, I need to cook food and I need to help hikers and you know, I, I need to do camp chores and, and that's good for me instead of just like, like taking a nap and then feeling really unproductive. I mean, sometimes you can feel productive like that, but it's just... But for um, you, you know what lights your fire. Yeah, and keeps but for you... me, it's just, like, good to be busy. And the other danger, I think, of, like, just running is I think it can be a great thing. Like, I think it's if you get the opportunity, opportunity to do that, um, it's pretty special. And, like, 
it can be really, really good, but you also have to be very careful because it's easy to just like kind of overdo it. Be like, well, I don't, the only thing I have to do today is run. You know, like that's my only obligation. So then it's easy to just kind of like go out and like overtrain yourself and run yourself into the ground. Um, I actually just spent a week visiting family in Pennsylvania and it was great. Um, but I wasn't at park camp, so I didn't have all that other stuff to do. So basically all I had to do each day was get my training in and hang out with my family. <laughs> so I was running a ton and I was just like, well, this is great. Like I really enjoy getting up and having breakfast and then going out and training all day and coming back and having dinner, going to bed. But it's also kind of dangerous. Like I, the amount of training I was able to do was like, was, uh, really pretty intense and it's just like like this week I'm pretty tired because I ran so much that week and I'm like well that was that was good f to do for a week you know you got a really good training it block. was good to get a really good intense week-long training block in um but I think I'd have to be careful if I had the ability to do that day in and day out day after day after day I think it it would start to take its toll physically and, and mentally yeah but both yeah because and, and that's one thing with, with the training is a lot of times people just kind of pay attention to the physical aspect, and I think they neglect the mental aspect of it. Um, I can kind of tell when I'm like, the, I have a very durable body. That a lot, See, a lot of, I have a blessing and a curse. I have this really durable body that tends not to break down uh, physically. Uh, at least from like an injury standpoint, like you can um, run a lot of miles. Yeah, yeah, and intensity. I've always I've always been like that ever since like ever since like high school. I mean, I can pretty much count the in, like in I've been running since like basically since middle school, and I can pretty much count the injuries that have actually like laid me up and required me to take days off probably on like one hand. You know, I've had niggles, but I'm almost always to keep able to keep running. Um, so, like, that's a huge blessing, but it's also, like, a huge curse. Because then um, a lot of people won't get to the point of being overtrained or mentally fried because their body will break before their mind does. But mine's kind of the opposite. Like, I, I can really... Uh, push and do a lot of training so I can actually get to the point where like and I think a lot of people do but like I can really get to the point where I'm kind of like I think like the mind starts to need a rest yeah um and it doesn't mean like I don't run at all but it's just like it needs to back off a bit okay yeah. and you can sense that like you'll have you'll put in like a big training block and like halfway through or three quarters of the way through, you'll be loving it. It'll be fun. You'll be like, yeah, I want to go tag this peak today. I want to do this big route. I want to, like, you're motivated to go out and do it. And then towards the end, you're just like, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to go do this. You know, I'm just, like, counting, I'm just, like, counting hours. Like, you know, I, you, the motivation kind of goes away. And then that's kind of what tells me, like, okay, it's okay to push through that for a little while. But then eventually I feel like you have to kind of like pull back and let yourself rejuvenate and, and then you can come back and do it again. But it's like finding that, that, that balance. sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. And in, after college, I know you ran at a D3 school in New York and after college you went on a cruise ship 
and you were doing most of your training there on a uh, treadmill. Yeah. I feel like that could be a mental that was fatigue. Like, that was mind-numbing. Um, that was a tough... So I did that for about a year and a half. Not, I didn't, like... It wasn't like I was on the ocean for a year and a half straight. I would... I would the longest I was on a ship continuously was, like, seven months, um, which was still pretty long. That was the... That was too long, and then after that, I... I figured out how to, like, I worked with my boss to, like, make it shorter um, before I'd take vacation. So, um, but, yeah, no, that was, that was a tough time of training. Uh, it's, it was ironically kind of what brought me into ultra running because I think most people got that job on the ship and been like, well, running career is over. Like, I'm not going to run on a treadmill on a ship that's rocking back and forth, you know, but I wasn't really going to do that. So I was always making an effort to try and figure out how to stay in shape. And so before you got on the ship though, did like, what motivated the training? Was it like, I'm going to get off the ship and do these races. I want to try ultras. I just love running. Like what was the like little dream that you thought of in your head? I think it was more just, I think mostly it was just like, it was just kind of part of my lifestyle. I just really like running, and I really value staying in shape. I can't just, like, sit around and do nothing. Um, so part of it is that. And then I think, yeah, there was still, like, because it is, yeah, it, it is kind of an intriguing thing because when you get out of college, you're such a small fish in a big pond. It's I see why a lot of guys don't continue because it's just, like, well, what's what's the point? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to you know, be like, I'm not going to be an Olympian. And, I'm, and I I'm don't not, have a team and I don't yeah, have the infrastructure have to help me. Yeah. And you just like, and sometimes you get out and you find a post-collegiate program, like a club team that is really good. Or you find a way to connect. But I think a lot of people fall off the boat because there isn't that team and there, there just isn't that drive anymore. But I guess I kind of always dreamed of making something of myself in running. Um, but I, But I didn't really... But I was real uh, to some level. I was realistic with myself. Like I knew that that was kind of like a long, you know. Like I knew where my talent level stood on the road and the track, and I knew that it didn't really point to being like, you know, a sponsored runner. Um, at least not on a big scale. Um, but I guess I also knew that my tendencies lended themselves to endurance. So like going, lo- so I had raced up to 10k in college. So I didn't really know my capabilities beyond that. Um, so I guess maybe that was part of it that kind of kept it alive because it was like, well, I know my endurance is good, so maybe there's a longer event out there somewhere for me. Honestly, what I thought it would maybe be was triathlon because I was like, well, because you can look at like the top triathletes and look at their times, and it's like, well, like they're very good, but like, their their 10k times are actually like somewhat within reach of what I run so if I could learn now obviously it's very different because they've biked and swam first but but it but you at least feel like well if I'm capable of doing this you know on the track if I could learn to bike and swim and put it all together you know maybe I have at least enough leg speed to at least do it if I can build all the strength and technique um so I had so actually when I got out of college I had contacted um, there's a woman named Barb Lindquist and she she heads up like a collegiate recruitment program for triathlon so they they take 
collegiate, basically they find collegiate runners and swimmers and they try and fast track them into the sport of triathlon to try and kind of like... Were you a swimmer? No, no I, I, I uh, swam on a swim team one summer when I was like eight or 10 years old. And it was kind of a shame. Like, I think my mom put, she put me and all my sisters on the swim team. I think because she wanted us to be really good swimmers or strong swimmers. So she could take us to the beach on vacation and things and not have to worry about us in the water, um, which was really smart. Uh, and it was probably cheaper than swim lessons. <laughs> but the swim schedule was kind of really intense in the summer. Um, and I think it was a little much for my parents to run around to swim meets all the time. So we swam for one summer and I did well, like I'm the, uh, of my siblings, I'm the more athletic one. And so I actually did, I, it's a big technique sport, but I actually did fairly well, but then my mom never signed us up again. So that was kind of it for my swim career per se. Um, but because of that, I was, I knew how to swim and I'm not the best swimmer, but like, I was like, well, maybe I can get good, good at it though. So when so, you were on the boat, what kind of, what kind of workouts were you doing on the treadmill? How did you use the facilities of the yeah, ship? That, that was the other thing. So initially I was still trying to ch kind of chase this triathlon thing and it kind of was like, well, it'll be better to chase the triathlon thing while on the ship because I don't want to run on that treadmill for 20 miles. So like I'll run on the treadmill and then I'll like ride the state the bike trainer and you know and I'll, I'll break it I'll do different things um so I got my when I first got on I kind of struggled like uh because I, I I dialed it in much more as I went so when I first got on I was still chasing kind of the triathlon thing so I would I would run on the treadmill or the deck or the deck um but the deck wasn't very conducive to running there were too many chairs and things in the way um, so I'd like run on the treadmill and then I'd ride like the bike trainer. Um, and then actually <laughs> at one point what I would do is they'd have a pool, but it was tiny. It was like, I don't know, it was like 50 feet long. So what I would do is, well, sometimes I would just swim like a ton of laps, you know, in that tiny little pool, or I would, I rigged up like a, I took like took like shirt like running shirts and things like that and I tied them in like a rope basically and then I'd like tie my feet in, I'd loop my feet into them and so I'd tie it to the edge of the pool and then I would just I would just swim in place like I'd just have my feet tethered to the end of the pool and I would just swim uh, my feet or my waist and then I would just swim in place like a like a treadmill uh, cause I didn't really, have, cause I didn't want to make all those turns. So I was always like very that creative. That is so hardcore. I, I'm really creative at like coming up with ways to, to do what I Did you study want. engineering? Yeah, I did study engineering. So like that side of me kind of comes in. Oh, for sure. Uh, and actually that's one thing I'm real big like promoter of is, um, like now I live in Colorado, I live at 10,000 feet. I, I basically have the perfect training scenario now. Um, it, perfect in a sense. Being a caretaker in training is still a challenge. Um, but, um, but a lot of people, I think, they just kind of discount themselves. They're like, oh, I can't train for that race because I live like at sea level or I live 
there are named mountains, you know, but I'm a very big promoter of like, you can do just about anything with what you've got. Now I do think it's challenging to prepare for a high altitude race if you don't live at altitude. That's largely why I live in Colorado. Um, but there's plenty of races that aren't at altitude, but are still like challenging with climbs and stuff. And I think you can almost always find a way to work with what you've got. Like, um, so on the ship, yeah, like I tied myself to in the pool. I rode the bike. I rode the treadmill. Um, but then as I as I went on, I got more and more into j like just running. So I was like cranking a lot on the treadmill, and then I would also I eventually discovered running in the stairwells. So I would they had these cruise stairwells on big cruise ships. They have different sections. Like there's the nice polished areas with like the red carpets and the brass railings and everything that all the guests see. And then there's these other areas of the ship that the guests don't go in that are just for the crew members. And so there's like crew stairwells that the guests don't use and they're just like metal stairwells that like j just get used for, you know, they like carry food up and down them and stuff like that. And so I used to go in those stairwells and the ships are tall. So they have like 10 flights of stairs or so. Um, so I would just I would just run up. I think I would run on the Queen Victoria, I would run from like deck one or so up to like deck 10, I think. And, and it was like going in like circles kind of because it was like, it wasn't just one big flight, you know, it was like, it wasn't a circular staircase, but you know, it was like, it was like five or ten stairs and then a platform yeah, and then yeah, another yeah. five or ten. And, and so I would just do that all the way up and then all the way down. And then, and I would just go up and down. And when I, I used to do it, I started off, I'd do it like, I'd do it for like 30 minutes or so. And then I think like each week I would add like five minutes. Uh, so by the end I was doing it for like 60, 70 minutes at a shot just up and down the stairs. I feel um, like you're getting your quad super strong. Yeah, yeah, and I was getting handle. really good at running stairs because <laughs> it's like a rhythm. Well, and in Madeira, I, I heard you talk about how there was a ton of stairs. Oh, in there were. Yeah, it's coming handy. Did that ever come? In, yeah, did you think about that? Ever yeah, well, race? I mean, I just know that I like running on stairs and like that I've done a lot of it over the years. So yeah, I think it it it, it came in handy. Uh, and even in Colorado, I trained on the Manitou Incline, which is basically just a giant staircase. Uh, so I like that rhythm and, um, so yeah, I think that came in handy at Madeira, but, um, but yeah, I used to run in those stairwells and I would usually do that first. I would do it every sea day, every day that I couldn't get off and run on land. I would do that. Um, so every sea day I would run on the stairs and then basically, usually as soon as I was done running on stairs, I'd get on the treadmill and then I'd run. So I'd kind of tire my legs out first. <laughs> I'd get all the vertical in first, and then I would go get on the treadmill right away. And that was always, like, an interesting transition because your legs are kind of fried from running up and down stairs. And then so the first mile or so till you gro grooved in uh, can feel a little sluggish uh, or your legs can feel a little heavy. But I think that was really good training. So, And then on the, the port days, I would go out and I'd run. I'd basically just go out and run up some places were flat but a lot of places had like mountains or something and I would just go up and like run up and down the mountains and and those days were great uh, where is one place that you ran that you still want to return to um 
let's see. Well, the I think it would be cool to go back and uh, go back to Norway. The we'd we'd sail the fjords in Norway, and so you just like sail this huge ship back to the end, the back of a little fjord, and there'd be a tiny little town, and then just big. Mount. I mean, they're not like 14,000 foot mountains. They're probably like 3,000 feet, but you're right at sea level, so there's still a fair amount of gain there. And just Norway is just so remote and beautiful and kind of like untouched, and it's just it's a really cool place. I'd I'd go back to Norway and race, but some of the places I do go back to, because we used to sail the Canary Islands, and like half these ultras are in the Canaries or like Madeira. Part of the race in Madeira, I was running on trails that I had run on when I worked on the ship. Not like we're talking like a few miles, but up at the high point of the race, coming across like the really jagged peaks up top. I used to run up there when I worked on the ship because the ship used to port down, I think, in Funchal. And then I would, I somehow I figured out that there were trails way up there. So what I used to do was when the ship would go there, they had these bikes that we could take, and I would take a bike, and I would bike to the top of the island. So I'd bike from the ocean up to like 6,000 feet, and then I would, I would like lock the bike <laughs> somewhere up there, and then I would go out and I'd run on these trails, and then I would get on the bike and I would, <laughs> I would Were you ever like worried really about fast. not getting back to the ship in time? Like ever having uh, a close call? Oh yeah, like uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting, like, um, I cut it close sometimes. Like, I think my, my boss might have been more worried than me. <laughs> They'd be like, run in the morning, like when the boat ship first gets there. <laughs> so that, but I just kind of ran when it fit. Um, so some days I did cut it close. Um, I think the close, <laughs> there was one day we went to Namibia, uh, in Africa and I went out, I actually, I rarely went on like tours. I'm not really into like the touristy thing, but I, they were doing this tour with the crew members out into like the sand dunes in the desert. And we we're going to ride these four wheelers. <laughs> and then we we're going to like, uh, do sandboarding on the, on the sand, sand dunes, which is basically sledding. It's like riding a piece of cardboard down a huge, sled, uh, down a huge sand dune. And so I did that. And then when I came back, there's still time. So I went out for my run and then I was like, right outside of the ship there was a place to buy souvenirs so i was like trying to buy souvenirs for my family <laughs> and then uh i was like right by the ship but i ran in and i remember when i was like running back into the ship the guests were like out on the on the deck like clapping for me as i was running in and then when i got on they were like last crew member on board and then we like sailed because i was like right it was like I. It was like to the minute, pretty much. But uh, but that one. But that one. I was. I was like. I was right there, and I just knew I had to go in. <laughs> but it's still close. There was another time. There were a couple times where I was actually like out on the trails, and I was like looking at my watch, and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be close. Um, one day in Norway, I went out and I ran up this mountain. And like summit fever is always like dangerous to begin with, but it's also, it's especially dangerous when like you have a ship you have to catch and that's your only way out. And so I ran, was running up this mountain and they always seem to take longer than you think they should. Like there's false summits and, 
But I'm, I was like pretty stubborn. And I finally got to the top and I looked at my watch. I was like, oh shoot. I was like, I gotta get back. <laughs> so I just like, um, I think about that sometimes. I feel like, I kind of feel like maybe I was almost like even, I feel like that was really good just practice at descending when I was, because I used to get these top of these mountains and then the ship was going to leave. So I have to run like really fast back down them. And you're also not wearing like a GPS watch. So you have no clue. <laughs> no, I'm good at finding my way back. But like, yeah, I don't know exactly how far I've gone. Uh, so, and playing the timing game is kind of tricky because up is usually way slower. But then again, like it's easier, it's easy to think like, oh, I can go down like half the time. And sometimes you can't, you can go down like three, you know, like three quarters of the time. But so it's always a gamble. But so, so I like, I went tearing down this mountain and there were like all these snow fields and I was like sliding across them. And I was, I was probably taking some pr pretty big risks trying to get down. Um, but I finally got down and then I got back to like the roads and then on the roads of all places, I like, I made like a wrong turn. I like, I should have like gone straight or something and I went left. And so it wasn't a real big deal, but I went a little farther, I think, than I should have. And I got back like 15 minutes before we were leaving. <laughs> but yeah, it was a little, it, it keeps, it makes for a really good like tempo run. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to get back or I'm kind of stuck. <laughs> I love that idea of summit fever. So you, when you got off the ship, I know you what your first kind of ultra where you came in with a bang was JFK mm -hmm. 50 miler. Yeah. What was that like to like line up for one of the, you know, the most historic ultra, ultra marathons in the U S did you really know what you were getting yourself into? No, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, uh, I ran it because I went home I was, I was on a vacation from the ship and I took the first week or two in Europe uh, and ran, a, ran the, basically I ran the UTMB course around Mont Blanc, um, just like in several days, just having fun, not, not even having no clue that I would, I'm racing it this year. And like, if you'd have told me that, well, it's interesting with Madeira also, it's like you've yeah. foreshadowed like these places yeah, that I you're have. coming back to. And like. I mean, when I did that, I was like, there were people over there telling me how like it was a race. And I was like, this is insane. I was like, I'm doing this in four days. It's taking me like the whole day just to cover each like 25 miles, 25, 30 miles section. I was like, how the, like, how the heck do you do this all in one, like one shot? Like, and now this, this year I'm, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to attempt it. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But, uh, um, but anyways, no, I came home from that and my track coach from high school showed me the JFK 50 and he told me I had to do it because I guess he saw potential in me and he knew that I was strong and he was just like, he also knew I didn't have much leg speed. So I needed to run something really long. And so I kind of, I was non-committal about it over like several weeks. And then finally, like the week of the race, the race director told me he'd let me in and I was like, okay, I just kind of decided I've got nothing to lose. You know, if, if it kills me, I'll just like get back on the ship for three months, disappear. Nobody will see me. You know, there's like, there, I'll go hide. Like there's, there's no, people will forget there, about there's me. no shame. There's no shame in this. Nobody knows who I am to begin with. So, so me and my buddy from college just went down and jumped in and, um, uh, he crewed me and I, I, I didn't, 
I didn't know much. I, I knew a little bit, I think, of the history of the race. But I didn't even know that, like, I didn't really know anything about, I pretty much didn't know anything about any of the guys I was racing, except maybe Mike Wardian, and I don't even know if I knew he was in there. And, like, Rob Carr was on the line, but I didn't even, I knew who Rob Carr was. I didn't know what he looked like. I knew he ran, I knew he was, like, running well that year. But I, I knew very little about Rob Carr. It was just like, there's this guy from Arizona who won UROC, and maybe I, won't, I might have known he won Western States. I don't even know if I knew that. Um, and he was, he was in the race, but I didn't even know he was in the race um, uh, until like, there was this awkward moment like at like mile 20 where the, we had broken up the field. And it was just me and him. And so it was like, well, I might as well talk to this guy that is the only one left to talk to. <laughs> and so I asked him his name, and he told me Rob Carr, and then I felt kind of, I guess I felt kind of dumb. I was like, oh. <laughs> so I, like, congratulated him on UROC, and then we didn't say too much after that. <laughs> but, uh, when did you pull away from him? Um, late. Like, we ran neck and neck. It kind of felt like forever. Uh to up to mile 38. I wonder if we he went was like, through, who is this dude? Probably, because nobody really knew who I was. Um, we went through mile 38 aid station basically together. He was like right behind me. And then I was running. And then when you, you exit the towpath at like mile 42, and when we did that, I looked back and I didn't see him anymore. So he had dropped... He may not have dropped at that point. I think he may have officially dropped out at that turn there at mile 42. But he had, we had split up by that point. So somewhere between like 38 and 42, we lost each other. And then he ended up dropping. And then I, and then I ended up going on into the finish. Um, for there were like eight miles left. Um, but yeah, it was just like, it, that was a wild race. It, it was a very, very comical race. Because uh, nobody knew who I was. Um, my buddy who was crewing me, like neither of us really knew what we were doing. Um, you also didn't know what 50 miles was going to feel like. No, like I had done a training run that was like 35 miles before that. And it was really only supposed to be like 30, but I like messed up the route and I ran 35 and I was like, okay, I can go that far. I have no clue what happens after that. That's like what UTMB is this year. Like I've gone like 70. I have no clue what happens after like at 80, you know, like, I mean, I could give well, you a guess. Western States are going to get a pretty good look at <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. A after. lot of people who are trying to do it. Yeah. yeah um, we'll go to that place. Yeah. So I know there's probably, there's like a whole world of pain out there, <laughs> but I don't know what, how my body's going to respond. Um, but yeah, like the, the JFK was just really comical because nobody could figure out who I was. And so my, uh, my buddy Mike Kervak was was crewing me, and people were started coming up to him, like asking him questions, because they were trying to figure, they were trying to like Google me. I think for a while they just kind of wrote me off a little. They were like, ah, oh, this guy'll fade, and they thought I did at one point because I had stopped to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and then I came like charging back. I was I was fine, and so then they were like, oh, I think it was like when I made it to like 38 miles and I was still with Rob. I think they were like. 
oh shoot, like this guy's for real. <laughs> and then that's when like, apparently they all started like going to Google and they started trying to Google me and figure out who I was. And they couldn't really find anything. So they're asking Mike and Mike was like, there was like, well, they're like, what's his marathon PR? And Mike was like, well, he's, he's never run one. <laughs> and then they were like, he, he really had very little to tell them. Like he might've told them like my 10 K PR, which wasn't very impressive. And so there's just like this huge mystery and, um, then I ended up winning and, and I still kind of didn't, I think, fully understand what I had done. Um, and so it, it was just a really, really funny day, but, but it was a, it was a very life changing day. It was like that. It was interesting because like, I'm also, life is also all about like taking big risks and like, I mean, a lot of times it's calculated risks, but sometimes it's just crazy risks. You know, and JFK was like, it depends how you look at it. Some people would say it was a crazy risk. Some would, some would say, well, it's kind of a calculated risk or it's a safe risk because what's the worst that happens? You know what I mean? The worst that happens is like you fall apart and nobody knew me anyways, so it wouldn't have really mattered. You can do just about anything with what you've got. Now, I do think it's challenging to prepare for a high altitude race if you don't live at altitude. That's largely why I live in Colorado. Um, but there's plenty of races that aren't in altitude, but are still like challenging with climbs and stuff. And I think you can almost always find a way to work with what you've got, like back and and just kind of be and and take the safe route. And just over the years, I do that probably in certain areas of my life. Um, like I, I'm kind of an interesting person because I it's almost like the way I approach running is the way I do other things in life. It, they're, they're kind of like almost opposite. Like, uh, like a lot of times, like there's a lot of things that I kind of overthink and I overanalyze and I'm like, and I'm really slow. Like I tell my, I tell people like running is the only thing I do fast and the only thing I do fast. Everything else like takes me forever to make a decision. Like, give me you an know. example like as simple as like ordering a meal at a restaurant it like takes me forever to look at the menu and decide what i want um or you know just like any type of like decision making basically or like any big important decisions um whether they're like in just like in life you know with like whether it's like with relationships or with uh or maybe with jobs or with any or spend, <laughs> spending money on things like plane tickets. I have to like th think through it like so much and process it and take time to kind of let it shake out, not make decisions on a whim. And when it, when it comes to racing, it's like they shoot the gun and there's almost like no thinking that goes on. It's just like, <laughs> that's the one area of life. Where, I mean, there is thinking that goes on if I'm honest that like there is, but it's like the one area of my life where I feel like I spent so much of my running career in college and maybe high school overanalyzing it and worrying about it and being uptight with it that when I got out and I finally f had success being just kind of loose with it because JFK was like a defining moment. It's like, well, let's just go do it. Like there wasn't, there wasn't, 
it was just like a very freeing race. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to jump in and go. And there was like no pressure. I wasn't really that nervous on the start line. And so I was like, whoa, that worked. So I just kind of tried to keep going with that. Um, And so it's just like when I train, uh, when I race, there, there is some thinking. But for the most part, I just try and not over overthink it um and I, I try not to overanalyze it i don't like to i don't like to know all the numbers and all the stats i don't so do you not wear a gps watch i don't wear a gps watch still. like yeah i still don't i did in high school for a bit um but i still don't um like actually when i trained for madeira i did it i trained without a watch uh i would i would just i mean i do i don't want to give this I don't want to give this misconception that like, oh, he just goes out and he does whatever he feels like and there's no plan and it's just all like by the seat of his pants. He's just this gifted, yeah. Yeah, like... Like he doesn't put in the work. You put in the work. No, I put in the work and I do do have like concepts and processes that I kind of follow, but I'm fairly loose with it. Like, like, Like when I trained for Madeira, I would look at the clock in the cabin... And I would go out and I would run. And when I came back, I'd look at the clock again. And if I was out for long enough, then I was done. And if if my goal was to run longer and I hadn't hit it yet, then I'd just go back out and run some more <laughs> and then come back again. But I'm not out there, like, checking my splits on certain sections. I mean, every now and then I run a route that I kind of know, like, what a good time is on it. And I'm maybe looking at the, t- you know, looking at the time a little bit. But uh, I try not to do that all the time. Uh, I try not. I don't do it very much at all, actually. Um, and so it's. And I think that's actually really good for me because I'm the type of person that, like, if I know all the details, I will like push myself too far. So, like in college. I'd like know exactly how far the routes were and I'd know exactly how long it took me and I could go home and calculate the pace. And then the next week when we do the same route, it's the same workout. Maybe this week I only slept for four hours a night and I'm studying like crazy and my body is trashed, but I'm still out there, you know, trying to do that eight mile route in, you know, the same time or faster, you know? And so I'm pushing myself to run like, 545 pace because to me that success when in reality my body is not necessarily meant to run 545 pace that day i the equivalent effort that day might be 615 pace just because like i haven't slept and i'm tired you know so like i kind of over because it's really a lot about effort level and so i'm pushing it too much so now i just kind of don't pay attention to all those details and try not to fall into that trap when I was back east, it was actually like, not only was it dangerous that I had so much time to train while I was visiting family, it was also dangerous because I generally knew how far things were. Because I've trained there, I grew up there, so I know how it's far, yeah, it's far, far thing. I know the loops and the distances, and so all so a week long, I was kind of like in the back of my mind, keeping track of how many miles I was racking up. And then there I am at the end of the week, like absolutely like, like kind of fried. And I'm out there like running. I did this like really, I did this, this like, um, 
I did, I, th- I, I still don't know exactly, but I, I know about how long the routes are. And so I did this like 27 mile run in like the middle of the night because I was like, I still need to get my run in that day. And I was trying to hit this like number that, you know, I just was like, cause I knew kind of what my mileage added up to that week. And was I was it 150? like, no, it was actually a bit higher than that, but, okay. uh, but like, <laughs> was and it I was like, the, you gotta give it, you gotta, you gotta reveal yeah, that. So, so yeah. So like I was on pace to run about 200 miles that week. Okay. Um, and I was like, I don't know that I've ever done this in my life. Like I never knew if I would run that many miles in a week. And, and I, and I, and, but I was on pace for it. Cause I was telling my buddies during the week, I was like, they knew kind of how much I was running. I was like, if I do like 27 miles on Sunday, I'm going to hit like 200 miles this week. And so I kind of was like, I, I should do that because I'm so close. Like it would be fun to say I did that. And I, and who knows, I didn't, I didn't map everything to the T because some days were like, well, I know this is 22. So if I run an extra hour out and an extra hour back, you know, I will probably be somewhere around 30 miles or something. So some of it was stuff like that. So I might have ran 195. You know, I might have not ran 200 miles. I don't know. But uh, but anyways, I was like, that's I left Pennsylvania being like, that's dangerous for me because like I could tell at the end of the week that like I'm out there at like one o'clock in the morning, like finishing up a 27 mile run just because I'm kind of trying to hit this number and because I enjoy having a huge week of training and just kind of killing it like that. But I know that like if I was on the mountain I'd kind of have no clue what the mileage was. And I'd probably just say, like, well, I should go out and run four hours today. And I'd go out and do that. But if my body's tired, that four hours might be, like, 20 miles, you know. And so then I'm, like, it kind of keeps a check on the effort level. Because you're not just, like, run, you're not just like running extra just, just for miles, you know, you're, you're just kind of, you're kind of controlling it better because you're saying, well, I'm going to put in this effort today and the effort is this amount of hours, you know, because sometimes your body might be toast and it might take you, you know, way longer to do 27 miles than it should, but you're out there for that much extra time just because you think that that's a successful day. <laughs> Well, I think what's cool is that you can be pretty honest about it. And like, even this recently, since being home, uh-huh. like you're able to have that reflection of being like putting, putting yourself in check where I think what's hardest most people will be like five months from now having run a bajillion uh-huh. 200 mile weeks. And then they're in like a pretty dark place. Yeah. So it's like, you have that perspective. Yeah. And, and I'm not, and I'm not perfect at it. Like I have a tendency to kind of push the limit. It's like, it's what makes ultra runners good, but it's also what, also sometimes leads to a short career. Um, and I really try and, I mean, I do the sport because I enjoy it and I really want to do it for a long time. So I want to be respectful of my body and not run it into the ground. I mean, I'm also out there running those big mileage days because I like that. Like I enjoy that. Like, you know, I was home and I'd have days I spent like all day or all morning on the Appalachian Trail just like running and I just absolutely love it like it's it's fun I get the end of the day I'm like this was a great day you know um but but I also know that I have I have to kind of keep it in check and one way I keep it in check is I have myself race not ultras all the time 
but I have myself very smaller things like like I did a half marathon trail race a couple of weeks back and I'm supposed to go around the U.S. mountain running championships uh, July 4th weekend. Um, and so I do these, not ultras, but I do these smaller races partially because, well, one, because I just like to keep a variety and it keeps me sharp. And two, because I don't like to race tired. If I, if I get on a start line, I like to be ready to go. So having those races in the schedule forces me to take like down weeks or even just like a few days of taper. So I'm not out there just like running myself in the ground. Cause I know my personality is like, Oh, I ran like three hours a day this week. Can we do three and a half next week? Can we do four the ne week after that? And then you'd be like, well, can I do five? You know, or like I did 200 miles. Can I do 220? 220? Yeah, or can, I, can I do two in a row? And like, I know my self will do that. And, and it's learning to control it. So yeah, maybe I can do that for two weeks, one week or two weeks or three weeks. But then probably, eventually, I'm going to need a down week. Otherwise, all that is kind of pointless, you know, because if your body doesn't get a chance to recover and kind of sink that training and put it in the bank, it's not really going to get better. It's just going to get really tired and burn out, you know. So there needs to be that stress and then that rest. And so I've, I'm, like, figuring out, like, I feel like I've learned that a lot over the years, but I'm still, like, trying to keep it in check as I progress. Cause like the years go by and I train more and more and it's kind of figuring out, you know, what does the rest look like and what does the, what, do, what, what, what's the ebb and flow of the training cycles and how do you keep it so that I can do it not just this year, but I can do it next year and again and again. And hopefully when I'm like 85, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that, learning how, how how to control yourself and not not overtrain yourself and and I'm honest like I I realize I might mess it up one of these years you know like I couldn't be messing it up right now like you know for UTMB you know I could be doing too much you know um but you know I hope I'm not I always hope I'm not you know, that I watch my body and you kind of watch for some, there's kind of your body kind of tells you if you're starting to do too much um so you, you, you learn it over time and you kind of, you, you, you learn how to keep it in check. But, um, but if I'm, if I'm honest, like, you know, I don't, we play a very dangerous game with a very delicate line and, you know, one, you know, one, one day I, you know, I could get too close to that line and, you know, have a show up to a race overtrained and just be miserable, <laughs> you know? So, so we'll see, but I, I, I try not, I try and hope that I stay away from, stay away from that line. So. And when you spoke about taking risks, mm -hmm. I read a beautiful article you wrote for I run far uh -huh. about watching the 10 K yeah. championship and Edward Cheserick. And I was hoping uh -huh. you could speak a little bit about that yeah. because I think <laughs> There's something that you're you're speaking of is like you're willing to ride the line. You're willing to uh -huh. kind of push your limits. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. I I've written I have a monthly column with Iron Far, and um, I feel like I read a lot of stuff that people just kind of like agree with. They're just kind of like, oh, this is nice. And then um, I wrote that article 
late at night and and i'll admit first i think when <laughs> i made a, i think i made a mistake when i wrote it i think i had actually watched the 5k and i flip-flopped the two in my in my in my article but the point i was trying to get across still still stood he had he had won, won one race already and he was running the second one and and in my writing i <laughs> i felt like a fool for doing that but like i think i flip-flopped them around so i think i was actually writing about the 5k race that i had watched and he had already raced the 10k but but anyways i wrote that article and i it was just kind of like the way i felt and i put it out and then people start commenting and commenting and i realized i was like whoa I was like, apparently I wrote about something very controversial here. <laughs> Not everyone sees eye to eye on this. Um, and that's kind of hard um, to write something. And then there was a lot of positive feedback. People were like, yeah, this is like, I totally agree. Then there were other people who like didn't. But that's really how you develop as a person. And, you know, it really sharpens you to be able to... Um, kind of take criticism like that and then also realize that, the, well, not everyone sees things the same way that I do. Um, but I guess basically what I was trying to express was that I watch, I sit down, I don't, I don't follow track and field super closely uh, now that I'm more into tra ultra running, but I'm still a fan of track and field and I like watching, you know, the Olympics or the Prefontaine Classic or the, the Olympic trials or the NCAA championships. And so I, I flipped on the TV. Uh, I was in, a, I was away from bar camp for a race and I watched that race with Chesrek. And, um, it was just for, for me personally, it was just kind of like the same old song and dance that I've seen over and over again in championship racing, a strategic race that doesn't go out very fast. Everybody kind of hangs in there. And then the last couple laps come around and it, the pace kicks up and it turns into this exciting final couple of laps. And usually the guy, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the guy who's expected to win, even in that scenario, uh, manages to have more in the tank than everyone else and has a better kick and pulls away and wins. And I'm just kind of left going like, well, that was just another race. Like <laughs> there was nothing super special you know, and and I understand that, you know, sometimes the greatest battles in those races are farther back. There's races within races. And sometimes so like watching the middle is is the middle of the pack is more interesting than watching the front of the pack because um, there's guys out there like at their actual limit um, fighting each other for 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 spots. Um but, but yeah, it's just for me personally, I just really like seeing races where guys really kind of put their heart and soul into it and they get on the line and they're just like as fierce and can be, as can be and really fiery. And like, you can just tell that they're basically giving it everything they've got. And, you know, they're, they're, they're running really gutsy. They're pushing their limit, like um they might they're out at paces that might blow up they're out at like paces that's like well they will either blow up and have a terrible race or they will hold this and run the race of their life and maybe a world record or maybe a collegiate record and that's the things i like to see um a good example was in that same meet the 800 meter race um uh they went out and they went out fast and you could tell because the announcers right away were like, they were like, 
That's they were like that's 24 seconds for the first 200. They were like these guys are moving. They knew right from the get go that they were after it. And I think the guy who pulled away and won in that race uh, ended up running like I could be wrong, but I thought they said he ran like the second fastest time in the world this year. And that was an exciting race. I was like that that was a race right there. Um, but there's also the the flip side of like blowing up and yeah. I feel like for you in the way in which you race like a lot of times it has worked out for you uh-huh. to be able to like go from the front to give it all you've uh-huh. got but have you ever bl- blown up oh yeah yeah and, and and before I speak to that I just want to say like with the other thing with the strategic racing it's still very difficult and it's still very gutsy and it's still like there's a lot of other elements in there and it's still a, it can still be a very great thing it's just for me personally, the gutsy style of race that I like to see is the one that maybe ends up in a blow up. <laughs> That's just exciting. Like, um, so yeah, I, I have blown up. Um, where was it? Um, I got invited to run Le Templier in France. Um, they put together, they've, they've been doing a really good job with that race over the years, putting together this international competition uh, where they invite a bunch of American runners to compete together. And then they've been, they put together like a European team and a French team, like a South African team. I think last year they had like a team from like an Asian team or maybe they're all from Japan. I'm not sure. Um, but anyways, they invited one year, they invited me and Chris Vargo and Sage Canada and Alex Nichols and Matt Flaherty to compete as a team. And, um, and I was in good shape and the race is very runnable in the beginning and I went out, I went out fast, um, and I, I ended up in the lead, and I was running strong all day long, and I was just like, I was just, I was just killing it, and eventually, kind of out of nowhere, these two French guys caught me, and um, I wasn't, I wasn't glad that they caught me, so I kind of took off, and I, and I put some separation between us, and I went through a town at like 10k to go and I was actually feeling pretty good. I was running really strong. The the fans were like I think they were really excited. They were cheering and I think they were surprised how fast I was running. And um they thought I they thought I they pretty much thought I was going to win the race. I was like 10k out and then the problem was the two hardest climbs of the day, I would say, were in that last 10k. So I started out that one climb really stri- good and strong. I was going up, but as I went up, I started, I started fading. Uh, I really started fading, and I, I think I didn't realize how badly I was fading. Like, I, I should have been like taking more calories and drinking more, and 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 I wasn't and when I got up to the aid station I made it to the aid station and first and then there were like there was like 5k left and when I had planned the race out um I had looked at it and I was like oh the last aid station is 5k from the finish it's mostly downhill I was like I won't need much and when I I had been doing this this uh method where I was just swapping packs all day uh, each aid station I had like a pre-packaged pack and I would just take one off and put the next one on and so I grabbed my pack, my new pack, but what I had done was I had not put much in it because I didn't think I'd need much for 5K, mostly downhill. But there was one part that was definitely not downhill. <laughs> and so about as soon as I left the aid station, my hands went like all tingly, 
like and kind of numb. And uh, the, I know that's not a good sign. And I think I took a gel and they may have momentarily came back and then they went, and then very quickly after they just went tingly again. And I got passed by about three miles out, I got passed by one French runner. And then I was still like kind of chasing him up the climb. But in those last like three miles, I just like completely fell apart. I got passed by him and then another French runner. And then eventually Alex Nichols passed me <laughs> and then Sage passed me. And then we were really close to the finish and I was like, well, uh, but I'm still trying, like I'm still trying to like go strong. And cl real close to the finish, I was like, well, the fans were there. I'm like, well, I'm at least gonna try and like run this in. Cause I was pretty much at a hike, I think. I could like bear, I was so, I was just so gone. Like there was nothing. I was like what was the distance? on empty. It was about 45 miles. And I was just like on empty, like nothing was left. And so <laughs> I started, I was like, I'm gonna try and run. And so I thought I was running into the finish line. Um, and then they videotaped me going in and I watched it afterwards. And it was like, it was not a run. Like in my mind, like that's how gone I was. Like in my mind, I was running. But when I watched the video, like I was like doing this really ugly march. Like it was not even <laughs> a run. And at the finish, they had like one of those little, I don't know, like timing mats. And it made like a little, like a speed bump. And I was, I looked so bad that Alex Nichols was afraid I wasn't going to make it over that little, <laughs> little thing. Uh, but I did. Um, so that was a race where I just completely, like, I went for it. I went out like they thought I was going to win. And then was like, and then I completely ate it with like 5k to go. And I just, I went from first, I went from first to like fifth in like three miles. And it was just, it was really ugly. But that was like, also like, I was really proud of that race. <laughs> and the French people loved it. Like, they, they just like went nuts over my finish. And like, it, it like made me, it like made me famous in that little part of France. Uh, just because they, I think the, and, and that kind of goes back to the article that I wrote. I think, and I'm sure the opinions are varied, but I feel like at least within the ultra and mountain running scene in Europe, they really love just seeing someone push it to the limit. And be brave. To, to exceed themselves and to take that chance of just like, of just like completely blowing up. Um, just like finding, it's, it's that struggle, it's like that competition with the human spirit, how far you can push yourself, um, how far you can push your body. Cause that's like what we're all interested in seeing is like what's humanly possible. Like we wanna see what's at that outer limit, but you can't really get that if you don't take take that risk. And a lot of times people race with like a, a calculated risk. Uh, and, and even, even, even I probably sometimes have like a calculated risk in mind, but, but there's also just like this kind of wild side of me. That's just like, well, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go find, find something. I'm just going to go search for something great, you know, and I know that it might end up in something terrible, but you know, being willing to go for it like that. The, 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 the Europeans really seem to like that. Life is also all about like taking big risks and like, I mean, a lot of times it's calculated risks, 
But sometimes it's just crazy risks, you know? And JFK was like, it depends how you look at it. Some people would say it was a crazy risk. Some would, some would say, well, it's kind of a calculated risk or it's a safe risk because what's the worst that happens? You know what I mean? The worst that happens is like you fall apart and nobody knew me anyways, so it wouldn't have really mattered. Because there's so many cameras and things, it's like, oh, what, like, what are you going to do? Whereas just like, oh, I'll just jump, <laughs> you know? So um, it was funny. I'm kind of stuck with it now because, um, and I've probably mentioned this in other interviews and things, but but Bill Duper, who lives out in Leadville, and is he's, I'm not sure how old Bill is. I, I want to say he's in like his 80s. And he's just this huge fan of the sport. <laughs> he saw me jump there. And so now he always, like, wants to see me jump. Like, every time I race, he's like, I want to see those two feet in the air. So, like, now I, now I kind of feel like all my races I have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't jump at, like, all the little, like, little races I do. But uh, I mean, you but deserve the, to jump. At the, at, bi- uh, at the big ones, I, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to jump sometimes. But <laughs> so what's your race strategy or plan or for UTMB? Yeah, um, some I think I think I got asked this the other day in an interview, um, and I and I said it this way. Um, one of my Nike teammates was at uh, the the Leadville has like a whole race series now, and um, one of my Nike teammates was out at helping out or working at one of the early season races, and <laughs> she she ran into somebody. There's a guy named Sean who's a real big fan of of mine, and she said that he said he said Zach at UTMB, he's either gonna win or he's gonna die trying, <laughs> and she told me that I kind of laughed and I was like, well, I was like that's probably about right. <laughs> I was like I feel like that's pretty much sums up what's gonna have or you know what what the intent will be. Um, no, I mean I don't I. The the hundred mile distance is still a mystery for me, you know. I've never done it, you know. So I may get to like mile eighty five, and my body is like, no, <laughs> the, the, there's there's nothing more, <laughs> you know, you know, and you know. So I I could very well be like puking my guts out and on a stretcher by like eight, mile eighty five, you know. But um, I like to think that it that it ends in me going all the way around. Um, I mean, I'm basically just going to, to me, the race is a big adventure. Uh, it's this big loop through all these countries and beautiful mountains. And it's just like, if I can get out there and find my rhythm and have a good day and nail my nutrition and just keep going and just do it as hard and as fast as I can, um, you know, that, that would, that would be, be great. I mean, I basically plan to just, you know, just put myself in the race and go for it. Uh, are you going to try I, to run with people or are you going to, do you think you know, I don't, like, I don't know. Like last year when I ran CCC, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get like too, I don't want to be like, Oh, I'm just going to like knock this out of the park and I'm just going to like run away right from the gun. And yeah, I don't want to like, I, I, I want to, uh, it's a big, big day. And so, like, when I ran CCC, I knew that would be a big day. And I kind of told myself, okay, no no pushing or, like, no real racing until until uh, Champé-Lac, which is, like, 30 mile, which is about the halfway point in CCC. And so in CCC, I kind of tried to, like, 
control myself until then. By then I was hurting, so I just pushed, you know. Uh, but um, so I think it might be kind of similar at UTMB, kind of like I because I also think like as much as I like to just kind of go, I also feel like uh, in a, in a race that's a hundred miles. Um, part of doing my best will be figuring out how to like manage myself throughout the day um, and figuring out how to like get that nutrition and just kind of find that rhythm that I can just plug. If I can plug and pl plug and chug my way through UTMB with as few low points as possible, because I know you can lose a ton of time when you get, when you hit low patches. So if I can just kind of keep the low patches at bay and and just kind of run strong and um i don't know if comfortable is the right word because that doesn't really seem to be my style but um if i can just kind of run strong all day long i think that would be good and and i don't think i'll be too too uh set early on on being like oh i've got to like I've got to like get away and be alone and drop, you know, I think, I think if like we run together for a while, I kind of look for that natural break. Uh, I found that a lot of my really good races, there's like a natural break where like, I just, I just kind of, I just kind of separate and I don't even really try to do it. It just kind of happened. Uh, like I think at Lake Sonoma in 2014 that happened, I just, I just kind of ran and all of a sudden I was alone. I wasn't like trying to get away from everyone. You weren't like, I'm going to make this move at this certain yeah, time. No, it was, was just kind of like, well, this feels good. I feel like I could do this all day. I'm having fun. And then I just kind of ended up by myself. But that speaks to, I think your philosophy on running, which is more intuitive. Yeah. Like with the fact that you're not sticking to yeah. like, the GPS and the Strava, you're just Yeah. Like, no, I'm just kind of like, it's just kind of like in each moment trying to run each moment of the race the best that I can, you know? So sometimes I, so sometimes I feel good going up a climb and I want, so some people I think really kind of regulate themselves. They're like, Oh, this is a big climb, but it's still early. I'm going to hold back. I'm more like kind of just go with the flow. Like if I'm feeling good on that climb, just kind of go with it, you know, and let myself run it strong, you know, because later on I'm going to have a point where I don't feel so good. And then, you know, maybe I just kind of run slower there. But, like, when the good times come, just kind of run with it. And, um, and tomorrow you're going to get to kind of witness that. You're going to be pacing a yeah, teammate. Yeah, yeah, I'll be pacing Amanda Basham, who's one of the women on the Nike team. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think tomorrow will be a good, good uh, a really good opportunity to kind of watch how things happen in the last, the final miles of a 100-miler and kind of what it takes and what I might be in for. <laughs> yeah. So, cause there's a lot, uh, to you to me that, that I, uh, I'm sure there's levels of pain out there that are going to be a bit new to me. Cause at Madeira, there definitely were, um, the Madeira was the hardest race I've ever done. And that is the lowest points I've ever found. Like my, even though I had a really good day and I ran strong all day, for the most part, there were some really, really low points mentally and physically uh, in there. So um, what lifts you up from those low points or what keeps you going? Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of it is just I'm just a very I'm just a very driven person. Uh, and I just like 
the, so all of those kind of like obsessive qualities that I kind of try to con, like put at bay when I race are, or, or when I race and train are also still very present when it comes to when it gets hard and you just have to keep going. So like maybe it's not there in the day to day of like looking at the watch, but the obsessiveness is there when it's like mile 65 and all I want to do is quit. Because for me, I'm just like, well, that's not an option. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not gonna, like I didn't, like I started this race to finish it, so I'm gonna finish it. So I think I'm just, I'm just very, very driven. Um, I, I, I like to think I can take a lot of pain, but I think almost every ultra runner can take a lot of pain. Um, I mean, is my tolerance for it higher? I I don't know. I I feel like that mainly comes to a mental thing, you know. Most people could take more if they. I think m- most people can do more than they think or more than they allow themselves to. Um, but it's like it's it's figuring out how to like enable yourself to do that. Um, but. I I think also just, like, you kind of practice it in training. Like, I have some training days that are just absolutely, like, miserable. Like, I have training days where I pretty much bonk in the middle of runs. You know, I have long training days that I go out and I don't take any water and I don't take any calories and, you know, and I bonk and I still have, like, you know, 10 miles to get back to the cabin, you know, and I'm just miserable for, like, a long time. But, like, I don't really have any options. Like, I get back to the cabin or or I sleep out here <laughs> in the forest, you know, and I'm not going to do that. So just kind of the day-to-day, like, I'm not one to be like, oh, the weather's bad. I'm not going to train today. You know, it's like, oh, the weather's bad. This could happen in a race, so I'll go out and train anyways. You know, just kind of pushing through everything. Um and and so, and some days some days are good some training days are for the physical aspect and some training days are largely about the mental aspect and so that when i talked about that like 27 mile run that i did like in the middle of the night and it was it was mostly on roads um that that was actually really I mean, I'm not sure what all the value was in terms of physical training there, but it was very valuable, I think, in terms of mental training. Because it was like, I didn't get my run in early that day, so it got pushed off to the end of the day. I got, you know, I I got back to my parents' house. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like doing it, you know. And I just get out there, and there were points in that run where I was just like, it was so hard mentally. It's hard to explain. It's like, it's not, it's more than like you, it's more than just not wanting to be there. It's like, I think I was also very tired and it's almost like you're in this dizzy day. You're in an altered state almost feels yeah, like. Yeah. And it's like, you're, it's this other experience and it's like, it's hard to explain. It's like, it's kind of like you're really stressed out. It's kind of like you just don't want to be there. It's kind of like your brain isn't quite functioning right, but it's just like for whatever. It's really, really strange to explain. Explain, but I, I had that during that run, and I was just like, well, like, maybe, maybe like every time I came by my parents' house because I was doing these like loops, I had a, like a bottle of Roctane in 
that's caffeinated. I was like, I was like, well, maybe the caffeine will bring me out of it, you know, out of my funk or whatever. Um, but the one big thing that was going through my head was my buddy back home uh, had run the Boston Marathon this year. And his PR is like two, his marathon PR is like 253 or something. At Boston, he ran like 256. And so I was asking him if it was a PR. And he's like, no, it wasn't PR. He's like, but it was, he's like, I was really happy with it. He's like, it has a really good story. He's like, I'll, I'll explain it to you. And he told me this story of how the week of the race, he was like really sick and he didn't feel like doing it. He didn't want to go. He didn't feel good. He was like, I don't even know if it's good for my health. And uh, he called up the friend who was going to maybe take him to go do it because this guy was supposed to have something else going on in Boston, the Boston area. And he was like, he's like, are you still up for going? He's like, well, he's like, I don't have my conference anymore. I don't need to go, but we're, he's like, but we're going. He's like, he's like, I'm going to go and take you and you're going to run your race. And he was telling him, ah, I might not run. I don't feel good. He's like, and he told him, he said, he said, Amos, he said, if you don't, run this race what else in your life is going to be that much easier to quit on and and i and now <laughs> deciding to do a race after you've been sick is kind of a, a touchy subject and and you don't always have to make that decision um and some sometimes doing the race is a good decision and sometimes not doing it is is completely legitimate but that was in my head so he went to boston and he did it and um he ended up he basically it was one of those stories where like everything that could have gone wrong did and then he ran the race anyways and he ended up running within a couple minutes of his PR and um and so when I was out there running and I was like hard to keep myself going I was just thinking that, that kept going through my head I was like if I don't finish this 27 mile run like what else am I going to decide to quit on or what else is going to be that much easier to quit because that's a big thing I think um for example, I'm not that much of a power hiker when I train. I I don't like to power hike. Uh, so a lot of times when I'm running, I'm like, I'm a runner, so I'm supposed to run. <laughs> Even though I know power hiking might be more efficient, you know, to me it's successful to keep running. And so I feel like that's kind of similar. It's like, some people are like, how can you run up that whole thing without stopping? It's like, well, I just never let myself not do it, <laughs> you know? Because, like, the second you do it, it's easier. It's e The next time it's easier, you know? It's like, I don't know. It's probably, like, I'm not sure what to compare it to, but, like, I don't know, maybe, like, pe people when they first decide to smoke or something, you know, like, initially that's like they're like oh, i shouldn't do that and then one day they slip up and they do it and then the next time it's easier to do it and then the next time it's easier and eventually it's a habit and so like i try not to develop habits like that you know if it's the weather's bad i run anyways you know if you know if i don't feel good you know like i just do it anyways if it's 4 a.m you're gonna get it in yeah yeah i just find a way to make it happen it's like is it fun no is it enjoyable no I, sometimes it is sometimes it's like oh i don't want to go out and do this night run and then you get out there and it's like fantastic it's a full moon and you're like what was i doing sitting on the couch like this is great other days it's completely miserable but it's just learning to make it happen because that's like i think when it gets hard in the ultras that's what you have to do you just have to make it happen. 
like it's just like, well, this stinks. Like I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> but I'm not gonna get to the finish line by standing at this aid station, <laughs> you know. So I'm just gonna, you know, drink drink this bottle of you know, whatever, and eat this banana and go on my way. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not going to run itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what you're speaking to is really building mental strength and durability mm-hmm. and that it's something you have to practice on a daily yeah. basis and yeah. the little choices you make. Oh, yeah. And those little choices then create this strengthening muscle. Yeah. That's your mind. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder how much that plays a role in like other things in life like i wonder how many i wonder like i wonder if ultra running is like really good or really terrible for the brain <laughs> you know i like to think it's really good you know you practice all those mental those those tests of mental fortitude fortitude uh and just being mentally tough is a good thing yeah but, i mean the other thing i was discussing with friends was i was like i have a grandfather who just turned 90 and oh that's the other thing for UTMB I <laughs> I told my grandpa that because you know how runners will like run their age you know for uh like you run 28 miles yeah um so I I told my grandpa in in his birthday card how we do that sometimes and <laughs> so I told I told him that I would run his 90 miles for him uh but I told him that uh I will wait until August at UTMB to do it so so he kids about it now too, and he he says he says well, he's like Zach's gonna run this hundred four mile race, and I wonder how you could do that. But he told me he's gonna run the first ninety for me, and then that only leaves fourteen for him. So that should be pretty easy. <laughs> so so that's I think another motivating factor at UTMB of be out there uh, running the first ninety for my grandpa, and then uh, seeing if I can do fourteen more. <laughs> But you, yeah, and your family, I know you were born in Kenya. Uh-huh. Have you ever returned? Yeah, I did when I was in high school for um so my parents were missionaries. They 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 were missionaries for about 10 years, uh some of it in South America and then about 5 years in Kenya. And so I was born while we were in Kenya and I lived there till I was about 3 or 4 years old. Um and yeah, I did go back when I was in high school, they, they, uh, we still have some missionary friends over there. And so we, we took a team of people from a church that we we're going to in Pennsylvania. And we went over and did some, some building, pro- a building project for about two weeks. So I spent, I spent about two weeks. We were actually working on the coast in Malindi, but we did go back and, and visit one of the places we used to live. And that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, but I haven't been back since then. I I've been kind of trying to go back. We still have our missionary friends there, and they all, they're like, "When are you coming? You know, when are you gonna come to Kenya?" And so I'm I'm kind of I I ha, I ha, <laughs> the thought crossed my mind. I was like, "Well, if one year I wanted to run Western states, I could go. Maybe I could go over and like spend the winter there." you know, and train and <laughs> practice some heat training for like a, a few months to get ready for something like Western States. Yeah. Um, Cause it'd be, it'd be fun to go back and, and just kind of l- live that adventure for a few months. But I, I don't know if that'll happen. I, but I would like to go back and visit again, at least visit again at some point. I, I like the idea of maybe uh, running up Mount Kenya or something. Um, the, uh, of course, Kilimanjaro is there, but uh 
I feel like the logistics are a little more involved in and um and a lot of people do Kilimanjaro. I think I'd be okay with a mountain that's a little less little less popular. Um do, do you have a faith background? You mentioned you said your parents are yeah, missionaries. Yeah, I do. So like I was raised um so they were Christian missionaries um and I was just raised um I guess we we switched we we used to go to like a an EC church and then uh um and then we and then there was a church closer to our house um that was a brethren in Christ church which I tell people is it's sort of like Menna, like like the Mennonite church um not probably as strict as the Mennonite church but but anyways like denomination was not necessarily the be all and end all for my family uh, it wasn't like we had to go to a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church. It was just like we tried to find a church that was a, a good fit. You're never really going to find a perfect church, um, but you f- try and find one that's a good fit for your family. Um, so, yeah, so like, uh, so the the Christian faith has always been very uh, important uh, to me. Um, I grew up going to church, and then in the springs I, uh, I go to a... Uh, I go to a Presbyterian church in Colorado Springs, um, and which is interesting because I have to like wash the dishes and then run down the mountain. And uh, Nathan Sports sponsors me, so they send me all these power shower wipes. So I like stand in the trailhead parking lot, and unless I go to a friend's house first, I stand in the trailhead parking lot, and, like wash myself off with these with these power shower wipes, and then put my church clothes on and <laughs> go to church, uh, and then I and then run back up later in the day. Um, but it's fun. I get a workout in like to church and then coming back from church. And by the time we get, get a little back, inspiration, Kevin, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it works. Um, when I first started working at park camp, I wasn't really doing it. Uh, it's just kind of like, we're busy on Sundays and it's just, and then this year I kind of figured out, well, like the service is like, there's like a late service. I was like, if I work real hard in the morning, I can like get everything done and I, I can go down and I can come back up. So it actually works out because uh, um, my my coworkers just they watch the cabin while I'm gone. Does uh, your faith uh, in running have any resonance or intersection for you? Uh, no, yeah, it does very very much so. Um, and I feel like they've always kind of been been together. Like they're they're kind of like two things. Neither one would be good, as good without the other. Um, mostly, like, the running wouldn't be as good, I think, you know. Um, but it's like the the run is, like, sometimes the run is just, it, it gives me a lot of, for one, it just gives me a lot of time to myself to think and just, like, with ultra running, being out in nature, you know, being in the mountains, that's, like, that's just kind of very therapeutic in itself. So it's just kind of like a time for, for me to like, you know, you know, kind of like be out there enjoying the things that God's created and the gift that he's given me and, and just kind of um, experiencing all of that and having time to think and process and, and just kind of like get everything, maybe not everything, but get some things out. Um, so that's that's kind of like part of it and in fact like the the christian faith is like an interesting thing uh there's actually a part on the mountain that i found that has this absolutely 
amazing view of, of basically the whole forest and Pikes Peak. So like you climb up on this one rock, it, uh, it's out off of one of my favorite trails. Um, and you just like, boom, there's Pikes Peak, like the whole thing right in front of you. And then like the whole forest is just like spread out and you can see the surrounding peaks. And I climbed up there one day and I was looking at all that and I was like, I was like, I was kind of, it was a really cool experience. I was kind of like this, like this right here is, is uh, this is like my, kind of explains my faith. Like there's a lot of things within, there's a lot of things that people argue over and there's a lot of things that people interpret different ways. And, um, there's just a lot to the Christian faith and a lot of things that the Bible says that some people are like, well, it says this and other people are like, it says this, and this means this, and this is to be literal and this is to be figurative. And, and I just sit up there. I'm like, you know what? I don't really know what all that stuff <laughs> is actually. I don't, I'm no expert on all that stuff. I don't know who's right, whose theology is right about what, but like, I can't sit, but it's hard for me like to sit here on this rock and look at all of this and not think that, you know, there is, you know, like that there is a God that created all of this and that there is, you know, something more than just like myself living on the earth, you know? And so it's like this, this makes sense to me, like this mountain, this place, the fact that the role that I play in it, like that doesn't seem to really be by chance. And like, that's just very real to me. Um, So like that, so that kind of, I guess, is one way that I kind of like explain it. Um, but the other side of it is, uh, just all of the interactions that lets me have with other people, because I mean, of all the things that like the Bible says, the one thing that is very clear is that we're not really supposed to keep it to ourselves. You know, we're, you know, it's supposed to be something that has an impact on our lives and then through impacting our lives impacts other people's lives. And so through running, you know, I get to meet so many people and, um, and have kind of like a positive and have a positive influence on them. And so like, I really value the platform that it's given me. It doesn't mean that like, I, it doesn't mean that I'm like, all like preaching things, you know, like through, through things that I'm saying all the time, but it's, it's more just like trying to live my life in a way that is, uh, I guess like, and, and I definitely mess up from time to time, but like trying, you know, to live in a way that is having a positive influence on other people, you know, whether it's encouraging them to be more active or it's encouraging them to have, you know, some other f- healthy habit, you know, I think those are all like just really good things and just like inspiring people to do good things with their life and be good people and be kind and be passionate and, and not just like, sit on the couch in front of the TV and waste the things that they've been given. Cause everybody's been given like a pretty great gift of life and being able to be active. And, and if I can like encourage other people to do the same, like that's, you know, I think that's worthwhile. So, so yeah, just like all the people I'm able to meet and, and interact with has just been, been really cool. Cause I used to just be like a small fish in a big pond and you know it's just another and I still am I'm still like one of the small fish swimming in the big pond you know but like I'm a small fish who now has this platform to interact with a lot of other fish (laughs) yeah so so that's been so that's been really cool 
So it is, and I only can see it continuing to grow over the months and years. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I and I think that also kind of makes full circle back to like trying to be responsible with the gift that I've been given. Like, you know, the running isn't to be taken for granted. You know, like I could go out tomorrow and have, you know, I could have some accident on the trail and have some big injury, and um, so so that could happen and and also in training trying to be you know trying to be trying to take risks and be aggressive but also trying to be respectful of my body and treat it well so that I can keep doing the thi- you know the things that I find so much value in and that allow me to have this platform so um so yeah it's all it's all kind of connected <laughs> rock on Thank you so much, Zach. It was a gift to talk with you. I feel like I've been watching your journey and reading some of your stuff and listening Uh to their interviews, and it's just, it's great to hear it in real time. So thank you. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Zach has so many good stories and insight that had left me thinking long after the interview ended on my training, on taking risks, on racing. I'm so excited for Zach to take on the UTMB 100 miler this upcoming month and reach out to Zach and I on Twitter or Instagram. Actually, Zach only has an Instagram, so let him know you tuned in and wish him best of luck at UTMB. You can find him on Instagram. His handle is at ZachMiller38, which I'll also link to in this episode's show notes. My favorite, though, is when people take a picture of where they listen to the podcast, on the bike, their walk to work, on the trail, and share it with Zach and I. If Rue is a part of your life and you look forward to listening to a new podcast every week, please consider donating to Rue's Patreon page. You get to join an intimate Rue community with insider access into the podcast, exclusive content, and more. So visit patreon.com slash running on home to donate and know that any amount of support helps. You've definitely heard me ask this before if you listen to Rue regularly, and it's to leave an iTunes review of the podcast. It's going to take you less than two minutes. You can do it right now from your phone. Click on the reviews tab, and even a one-sentence review makes a world of difference. Reviews improve Rue's visibility in the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find this podcast and help the podcast grow. Please know that I've read every single review and wish I could thank each and every one of you personally on here. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.